Welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I am your host, Ray Gerard, and with me today in studio, we are in a studio, we're very professional about this. With me in studio is Mr. Bob Hennekes. Ray, it's been a long time since anybody's told me I'm professional, but thank you for that very much. <laughs> it's, good, it's good to be here this morning. Now, uh, Bob is our reg uh, resident uh, spiritual aid, guide, uh, use whatever descriptive word uh, you may want, because he is in the diaconate program here in uh, the greater St. Louis area. And so he's uh, made that decision to devote a, a lot of uh, his time and uh, good portion of, of his life to the service of God. And so that is all, all very, very good. Ray, I just want to make sure everybody understands I am currently in formation. So like a priest, a so deacon. So in other words, we don't have to really listen to what you say yet. <laughs> I had to, Most people never have. That, <laughs> so that makes sense. And yes, you are correct. Um, anyways, uh, well, we're going to you know, ask you to help us, Bob, uh, with maybe a little bit of an opening prayer. That'd be great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, and allow us to open up, to allow us to state your words, your love, your thoughts. Allow us always to be nothing more than a vehicle to those that you wish to reach, and allow us to do that in a loving way, to bring up ideas and thoughts that you would love people to hear in the United States and in the St. Louis area and in the Washington, D.C. area at this point in time. Allow us to, uh, to have that opportunity and to do nothing more than to be a vehicle to preach your words. We ask all of this in the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name, name of the Father, Father Son, Son, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, that would be good practice for you because you'll have to do a closing prayer too. So. That'd be good. I can, we'll, we'll I, keep you in practice. Okay, I can do that. So today, you know, this is the program that asks, hey, what if St. Paul, the St. Paul, the famous St. Paul who wrote so many letters that so many people have studied throughout the millennia, what if, what if he were actually alive today? And instead of writing a letter to the Romans or the Galatians or whoever else he wrote letters to, he wrote a letter to America and the people of America. What would he think we should hear? What would he think we need, need to hear? What, what would he want to tell us? Well, this is the program that gives you an answer to that question. And you may think that that's a little bit, uh, a little bit boastful uh, of us, uh, a little presumptuous of us to think that we can do that, but we know we can do that. And why can we do that? Because the things that he did write 2,000 years ago are still as important, still as effective, still as alive and truthful as they were back in his time, because truth does not change. So today we're going to be using one of his letters in relation to um, an event, as we always do, an event that happened uh, in the world, in our society. And the event we're going to talk about today is a shocking one. It happened in um, a cathedral, Notre Dame, but not the Notre Dame in Paris, but another Notre Dame cathedral uh, basilica. This was in uh, the city of Nice, or Nice. Nice, Nice is yes, correct. I know Nice is correct, but mm -hmm. I was actually, I, the reason why I said Nice is because I was going to do a little play on that word because, you know, what happened there was not so nice. Um, see how clever that was. That was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, anyways, um, if you haven't heard, 
shortly before uh, a mass was to take place, a man walked into the basilica and um, he yelled uh, the uh, you know, Muslim expression, for God is great, Allah Akbar, I believe is how you pronounce it. Anyways, um, he killed three people. He walked into a Catholic basilica and killed three people in a place of worship where people were there to pray to God. Now, you may not think that their prayers are proper. You may not think that their God is the same as your God, although there is only one God. And it, it's funny because that is a common belief among Jews, Muslims, Christians, is that there is one God. So if you're praying to the one God, why would that ever be something that you would need to kill somebody for? But nevertheless, that's what this gentleman thought he needed to do. Uh, there was a 44-year-old uh, mother. I think she had two children. She died. Uh, there was a 60-year-old a woman. She was actually almost, uh, from what I understand, almost completely decapitated. And then there was, a, I think, a 55-year-old man, father. No, he was a father of two. I don't know. The 44-year-old woman, she was a mother as well. I don't know how many children she had, but nevertheless, it doesn't matter. Uh, there are children without parents now. There are families without loved ones now. Why? 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 Why would people do that type of thing? Um, and you know, I was trying to make some sense of this. And there was a priest there, Father Adrian, who said that, well, part of the blame is on the people of France. And, you know, a lot of times when people will point at victims and say, well, you know, there are people out there who, for example, say, well, 9-11 was the fault of the United States. And they say the problem is that the United States, for example, and take that as an example, um, you know, isn't sympathetic towards people of other cultures, people of other faiths, that we've done wrong to those other people. And so this is just retribution coming back. Is that what Father Vion was saying? Well, not exactly. As a matter of fact, not even close. He said that the problem is that the people of France do not believe enough. They do not stand up enough for their own faith. So we're going to take a look at that, try to examine that uh, and ask the question, is he right? And so I think what this, relate, this, this really comes down to, if you, when you say that, hey, um, you don't stand up for your faith enough, in France today, I think a lot of that comes down to a, a much more basic principle, that people don't believe in God. The culture is becoming very secular. That's, that's something that's happening here in the United States as well. But it's been happening, the, the, the curve upward has been happening in France for longer than it has here. So maybe this is a little bit of an insight on what you know, may be coming for us. But it really boils down to, I don't believe in God. What does it mean when we say, I believe in God? What does that mean? Do we, if we say it, do we mean it? If we mean it, do we live according to it? Do we look at things in our society, in our world, under the light of that belief? Is there a God? Is he a loving God? Do we believe in him? So what does this mean for us as, an, as individual people and for society as a whole? Does it have an effect on a society as a whole? And I think that's what Father Drion 
was was getting at. In any event, uh, the reading that we have from St. Paul is one that he wrote to a, well, I guess a culture that was similar to a secular culture. It was a very pagan culture. But he wrote this to the Romans. And, he's, and he was talking about people who, uh, who do not believe in God. And he said, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God handed them over to their undiscerning mind and to what is improper. They are filled with every form of wickedness, evil, greed, and malice, full of envy, murder. They are gossips and scandal mongers, and they hate God. They are insolent, haughty, boastful. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know the just decree of God that all who practice such things deserve death, they not only do them, but give, give approval to those who practice them. So his message is a dramatic one. It's a harsh one. It's a stark one. But what it says is, if you do not acknowledge God, you're going to be handing yourselves or your society over to murder, to boastfulness, and to, to people who are ruthless. And those are things that we can see parallels to in our society today, and we're going to be talking about that. So that's, um, that's kind of our program. Uh, is it, in fact, better for our society? Would it, in fact, be uh, more conducive to peaceful relations between Christians and Muslims? If, in fact, it would it be better for society in general? If, in fact, we were stronger about our faith. So, Bob, as far as, I mean, what does that, I don't know, I mean, what, what does that mean to you to, to, to say, to say the words, I believe in God? Yeah, one of, the, one of the things that's in Scripture, in fact, it's a just marvelous story. And it comes from some individuals that were trying to actually trap Jesus. But they came to him and they said, Rabbi, um, what is the most important law? And Jesus looked at him and said, the most important law, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's what it means to believe in God. It's not something that you might do or contemplate or think about or you might act like it, but not no, that's not what Jesus said. He said, with your whole being, every part of you, you have to love God with all every part of you. So it's not your heart loves him, but your brain doesn't. It's not your brain loves him, but your soul doesn't. It's every piece of you, every bit that is you loves God. And then to make sure everybody understood, he said, and the second commandment is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. So in order to really complete this, to truly love God, not to show anybody else. It doesn't matter for anybody else. But to truly love God, you will go out and you will treat your neighbor as well as you would treat yourself. You would take care of them like you would take care of your own children or your own spouse. You will love people as much as you love yourself and the things that you think are important. That's what God is. That's what belief in God is. So I have a question for you. Are those two things related? They're absolutely related together. If you want the first, the second will come. 
if you truly don't believe in the first, you'll think, ah, I really don't have to treat that person nice, right? I, I can do that because they're wrong. But if you truly believe in the first commandment that Jesus laid out, you will follow up with the second because that will be in your soul and in your heart and in your mind. I mean, I think that's what we're, I think that's what we're getting at. I think that's what this whole discussion needs to be about. Are these two things related? Can you really have love for others the way that people envision a utopian society without God? People who believe that we don't need God, but we can do this on our own. We can establish our own set of values, our own set of morals. We can establish societies that have great social justice, better, than, better social justice than we have now, and we don't need God to do it. If that is right, then what we're saying is wrong. If that is wrong, then what Jesus said, the two things that he said are most important, are connected. Um, I mean, why would Jesus place those two things together in the same discussion, unless in fact they were connected? And I think you're touching on the reason for it. You know, you cannot truly love other people uh, unless you are humble. You are going to be prone at some point to judge, if, if you're not so humble, if you're not humble before God, if you're not humble in the way that's, uh, that says, there is this God, and compared to him, I am nothing. Unless you acknowledge that basic truth, I think it's inevitable that at some point you're going to make judgment on, judgments on other people. And you're going to say, that person's not so good, and we can you know, put him on, and get, you know, we can do this to him as a society, you know, or, or whatever else. St. Paul says, I mean, we always take this position that, hey, these letters of St. Paul have truths. So is this letter of St. Paul connected to the teaching that you just brought up about Christ, about the two greatest commandments? And I would say, yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, because, okay, well, maybe I should let you, you explain why. No, 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 I'm, I'm on a roll. Yep. Uh, yeah. But, you know, he said they're haughty, and they're boastful. And that's exactly what we're talking about. You're going to judge others and you're going to, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to have the kind of love that I think all people yearn for. When each of us, Ray, for whatever reason, maybe we go in front of a judge to be married. Maybe we go in front of a judge on a traffic violation. Maybe we go in front of a judge to decide some dispute we have. Whenever we do that, we want that judge to be fair. That would be what we would normally think would be right, would be fair. And that would be a good start. But what Jesus tells us as well is that none of us are good judges. And we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't judge others. What we should do is allow God to judge others. Now, we can be disappointed and enact at someone who goes into a church, into a basilica, and kills people. We can be disappointed and say, that's wrong, that shouldn't be done, but it is that act, not that person. And that's what God is asking us to do, not to judge others, but to love them. To love them the same way when I do something completely stupid and wrong, and I irritate the stuffings out of my family and my loved ones and the people around me, I want people to think, boy, Bob, that was really dumb that you did that, but not, Bob, you're an idiot, you're wrong, you're a horrible person. Bob did something particularly stupid. And by the, by the way, I can give you that list of stupid, <laughs> you know, chronologically, might, alphabetically. Might be, long, might be longer than yours. <laughs> but it is, it is 
God who is the perfect judge because he loves and he wants nothing more than for us after we do something dumb than to come back to him and love him and to be with him. And that's what Jesus is telling us. It is the acts that are wrong, but it is the love of God, everyone that we have to bring back and treat each one, whoever they are, in that same way and not take judgment into our own hands, but to simply love others and take care of them. And that was, in fact, the reaction of uh, the bishops and the church in France. They, you know, this, per- this person who committed this uh, horrendous deed, um, he survived. He survived. And so uh, the church and the bishops in France um, asked for prayers for the dead and for this perpetrator. So that was, in fact, their response. Um, all right, so let's go to this, this event in France and let's take, take a look at it a little bit. Um, it followed, uh, to give a little bit of a context, you know, there are some prior events. Four years ago in France, there was a, a priest, a, an elderly priest, who was killed, I think, while he was saying Mass, again, by a, uh, a terrorist, an Isla, a, a, a pro- someone who proclaimed uh, to be an adherent to the Muslim faith and uh, killed this priest during Mass. By the way, the, uh, I've got it here somewhere, I'll find it, but the Muslim Council, the Muslim Church in France, uh, has condemned this, this event. But in any event... So that happened several years ago. Just about a week ago, there was another incident where there was a teacher in France who showed some cartoons that enraged the Muslim community that was done by a a newspaper or journal, some type of a publication in France called Charlie Hebdo some years ago, uh, a couple years ago. And there were these cartoons that enraged the Muslim community at that time. And uh, he happened to show this, these cartoons, to some of his students in a class Uh, centered on the concept of free speech and why it was important. In any event, uh, that man was beheaded uh, just recently. So on the heels of that violent act, then we have this one, which took place on a Muslim holiday. It's a Muslim holiday devoted to celebrating the birthday of their prophet uh, Muhammad. Uh, In any event, so that's a little bit of, um, of the background. And then this, and then this happened. Um, so, what did Father Drillon have to say about it? Uh, there was an article written uh, in. Uh, let's see. This is the uh, Nath- yeah, the National Catholic Register, and they have a correspondent in France, a woman who grew up in uh, uh, Switzerland and France, and she wrote that despite attempts of the secularized French Republic to deny the Catholic roots of the country, the various jihadists, for their part, persist in seeing Christianity as the core of the nation as well as that of the whole Western civilization. Why would these attacks be happening in basilicas and churches if they didn't in fact see that? That was, so that's her perception. And to uh, add this context that we've been talking about, Father Drion said this, Paradoxically, the deleterious situation caused by the rise of radical Islam in France is partly due to the lack of a strong religious identity in the country. Um, this uh, Father uh, Stéphane Drion is uh, apparently a YouTuber, and he's known as the Curé Enrage, uh, the enraged parish uh, priest. He said, quote, History has shown that it is easier for Christians to live peacefully with their Muslim neighbors when they are a majority and have a strong and firm faith. But when Christians are in a position of inferiority, 
um, the conquering spirit dictated by the Quran tends to come back. He, um, you know, and, and we could get into a discussion about the Quran, but I'm certainly not capable of doing that. But in terms of what he had to say about Western society, I think this is important in terms of what he, what he says next. He talks about what do French secularism and nihilism have to propose to a young Muslim? Apart from abortion, the pill, drugs, castrating feminism, games, hobbies, and a lockdown where people are paid for not working. He said there is nothing here that makes a young Muslim willing to respect the country. Yeah, and he says that it, they're, they're prone to seek refuge in the religion of their ancestors. He says it's one of the few options that they have. And that, and that does speak volumes. What if you do believe uh, in, uh, you know, in, in, in things like re the religion will teach you and you don't find it in a secular society? Are you going to respect that society? And so they take refuge and this religion of their ancestors uh, in a way that, as I said, at least the Muslim Council of France doesn't agree with, but nevertheless. Um, you know, uh, our, uh, our French author said that the, the eradication of God from every f sphere of society combined with burgeoning relatives unnecessarily creates a vacuum in people's mind, which has a natural and intrinsic religious aspiration. Uh, oh, actually, this is her, I guess, paraphrasing, paraphrasing Father Drion. So, according to Father Drion, then, you have, there's a natural aspiration for God. And, it, I, mean, it's, I mean, we could do you know, a series of programs on that alone. But it is there. There is a spark. There is something with every individual person. They want to yearn for some belief that there is a meaning greater you know, than just, you know, they themselves in this life for the short time that they have here, that there is something that connects all of us together, that there is a higher connecting force. That's a, a common yearning that we all have. And when you have a secular society that really just denies all of that, it leaves a vacuum. So thou, you know, that, that's the perception of Father Drion. So like we said, he's putting some of the blame for this, and I'm sure he would say, you know, hey, this is a heinous act, and this is not this kind of an observation on French society is by no means any kind of way to, you know, exonerate uh, this, this guy who did this, this this terrible deed. But you know, is it is it something that we should not use for a little introspection? Are we in fact not creating a situation where this type of thing may be? you know, more likely to happen. If we're not, if we don't believe in God ourselves, you know, do we not create a situation where other people will not, you know, respect us? Um, you know, I mean, St. Paul said, I mean, you know, you go back to these letters from St. Paul, but these, these ideas, these facts, these experiences that we that we see being played out in our society, these, these ideas and these facts and these events, they're related. I mean, St. Paul says, you know, that God hands the power to these, you know, to these types of things where you're, you know, then you're handed over to murder and, you know, that type of, I mean, it's happening. Ray, one of the 
one of the natural things that I think happens for each of us is each of us is born with a desire and a craving for God. We know that because before we really know what's going on, we are craving some higher being, and that is God. And one of the things that I think happens to societies is when the society truly believes in God and morals, these things don't occur. But as it begins to go away from morals, the next line of defense is our family. And our family reaches out and says, don't do this or don't do that. And you get upbringing from your family and your educators. But if you still don't get that, the next thing and the last thing that's holding us in line are the police officers and the laws and those sort of things to stop us from doing something heinous like that. And then it's only a matter of time before they occur. If we are to truly understand this, we have to go back to the first step, which is to love God with our whole heart and love a being that is superior to us in every way, but still wants to love us, that God. And then the police and family don't have to be the ones that are directing us and telling us what to do. We are missing that. And as a society, we are allowing ourselves to get away from that morality, that love that God has for us, and allow things like this to occur. We're missing that. We're, just, we're missing that peace. When you bring this to America, um, you know, uh, what you're saying is, is, is very timely because, you know, what we're seeing now is attacks on the police. If you don't want to be restricted along these lines, if you don't want, you know, to be restricted by your family or by society at large, I mean, I think it starts with the family. Society reflects, you know, society is a bigger family. If the family's got a problem, then, then you have problems in society. You know, but, um, you know, but if, if you don't, if you re rebel against that, if you don't want those restrictions, if you don't want that kind of, those things, those, you know, those moral principles to bind you, eventually you are going to attack the police. And you see that now with, um, you know, we've got, you know, politicians, we've got people in government, people in positions of responsibility saying, defund the police. You know, so, you know, the morality is breaking down and along with it, we want a tax on the police so that our respect for the police is breaking down. We don't even want them to be there, to, to, give, to be that final, as you say, you know, uh, a bridge against immoral conduct. And you know, St. Paul says, hey, you know, God hands them over, you know, to all this, all the, you know, this, all this evil that can, that, that's being done. You know, it, it happens. This is how it goes. When you take God away, then the morality goes away. You take the morality away, and then you start seeing chaos and people rebelling against the police and people that want to stop the chaos. And we're seeing that play out in real time. In front of us. Um, now, if you think that perhaps uh, this is just, well, the view of, of one priest, this Father Drion, it's interesting. I did, this caught my attention, but there's an interesting connection here. There's an article on this event in, in, uh, in France, this recent terrorist act in France, written by a BBC correspondent. And so he's not French, and, you know, he's not writing for a religious periodical of any sort. And he says, you know, that, and he's, he's living in Paris. Um, Hugh Schofield, so a British uh, gentleman, I presume, living in France. And he says, 
Why does this outbreak of Islamic violence feel somehow more scary? We talked about several that have happened already. And there are those and then there are more. But we don't have time to go into all of those. But he says, this one feels more scary. And why? Well, um, there's one reason. Then he said there's also, there's also um, one reason, maybe the symbolism of the beheading of that teacher. Um, feels more scary because this person was actually picked out, deliberately picked out, and so that's unsettling to the French people. But he said there's another reason that this somehow feels more scary. He said it is the context. Interesting. He says the instant logic of action-response that followed President Macron's robust defense of secularism at Samuel Pate's, he's the uh, teacher, memorial uh, 10 days ago. All it took was a speech, apparently by President Macron. Then there were threats, then there were the deaths. He relates this, he talks about it as uh, an action, of action response. And what was it a response to? This, this, this action of, of killing these people was in response to a defense, a, a speech defending secularism. There's another gentleman in France, you know, living through these events, and he's saying basically something very similar to Father Drian. There's a feeling by people there, at least some people there, that this culture, um, the secularist, nihilistic culture that's being cultivated, um, you know, is tied to what's going on, and why not? The um, French bishops, the Conference of French Bishops, put out a statement in response to this event. It said, it was because they were in the basilica that these people were attacked, murdered. They represented a symbol to be destroyed. Why not destroy that symbol of people praying, um, people who are adherents to a Christian faith? Why not destroy that symbol? Why would you feel that this is not to be done? Why would you not feel justified that you could do it when in fact the society at large is doing the same thing? Does it go together? Are these, are these things just coincidentally happening side by side without any connection at all or not? Um, well, if in fact that's the case, then should we be concerned here in America? Now, it's not just several you know, these people that we've talked about so far, but one person in America who's been outspoken on this, who's drawn the same parallel, is Franklin Graham, the, um, the son of the now, I guess, famous preacher in his own right, uh, son of Billy Graham. And uh, he says we've taken God out of the political debate here in this country. He notices the same situation here in this country. In 2016, before the presidential election then, he uh, led a 2016 Decision America tour in which he went to a lot of state capitals, all 50 state capitals, to hold prayer rallies. He said, quote, and the, at that time he said, quote, the only hope for this country is God, and we have taken God out of the political debate. This year, uh, oh yeah, he, said, uh, he said also back in 2016, I pray that God will give us leaders not just in Washington. We need Christian men and women in politics. We need mayors, city council. We need Christians on school boards. 
Now you were talking about society at large and families. Yeah, you need to start with the smaller units. And those people, if they believe in the types of things that St. Paul believes in, those morals, those principles, that start with being humble and acknowledging God and recognizing the rights of other people, all other people. You start with that at the, at the basic level, and then you can go out from there. You know, and if, and if you don't have it at the basic levels, then are you going to, in fact, face problems in society? St. Paul thought you would if you didn't acknowledge God, and we're living that. Ray, it just if you think about this for a second, I don't think it's that hard. If you have nothing but the desire for freedom, nothing but the desire for freedom, and you don't hold that attributable to anything, craziness will occur. Because you, as an individual, I as an individual, will have different thoughts of what freedom means to me as opposed to anyone else. But if you have God as the answer, as the one that you go back to for sense and sensibility, you begin to make the realization that if I want to treat others as I treat myself, their rights, their freedom, their ability is as important as mine. And I don't do senseless acts where I hurt individuals. I can disagree with them. I can argue with them. Argue with them. I can say they're wrong. But in that, I don't want harm to come to them in any way. I want, in fact, them to have every right to say those things because I love them as much as I love myself. If you have that basis, you can truly have freedom because you're not worried, right, about hurting someone else because that is gone. You are there to support someone else, to come to the best decision when both of you believe that you really want the best for each other and for all rather than just for yourself. If all you're looking for is freedom so I can do anything I want, that isn't freedom. That's anarchy. That's it. You're right. It's a unifying force. If you believe, if you acknowledge God, if you say, I believe in God, it's a unifying force. You're going to feel that you're connected to all other people. If you don't have that, what connects you to other people? Um, in any event, um, Franklin Graham saying the same thing this year. Um, he's talking about the fact that uh, before this election, only God can fix the problems that we face in our nation today. Only God uh, can do that. Um, now, if we take a look at, for example, um, the candidate in the race for president this year, who is a Catholic, and uh, uh, turned to a statement that he, um, that he wrote. He, he wrote an article in uh, the publication, The Christian Post. And he's talking about a lot of the same things you're talking about, Bob. He says... The greatest commandment has guided my politics. What is the greatest commandment that he's talking about? Well, the one that you were referring to earlier. You know, you've got to love everybody as yourself. And, of course, connected with that is you've got to love your God. Uh, he says that these abiding principles, and he said loving God and loving others, that he makes the connection. He says these abiding principles are at the very foundation of my faith. These values have kept me grounded in what matters most and are the cornerstone upon which our family, his personal family, is built. He says, the Catholic faith drilled into me a core truth that every person on earth is equal in rights and dignity because we, are all, because we are all beloved children of God. We are all created 
uh, Imago Dei. I don't know, my, my Latin's a little rusty, and my pronunciation may not have been so great. But anyways, all created in the image of God with inherent worth. And, of course, he's completely right about all of that. And I think, no doubt, what he's referring to is a lot of his positions on policy issues with regard to ensuring that people are not discriminated against, ensuring that immigrants are welcomed into this country, ensuring that people of whatever, whatever color uh, or, or background, uh, you know, whatever gender identity you, you choose to have, that people, no matter who you are or what other people may choose to characterize you by, whether it's color or anything else, that we're all beloved um, creatures, you know, creations of God, and we all have this inherent worth. And he's, what he's saying is so right about all that. And when he says that that's guided him, uh, no doubt it has. I mean, I would, I would certainly think no doubt it has. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a call for, um, and that's, that's a defense of policy positions that he's taken against discrimination and other things, uh, based on his belief in God. So if he didn't have that belief in God, would he necessarily feel, you know, the same intensity about, you know, why we need to respect all people? That's another question. But in any event, the funny thing is, um, do we still have, so we've got this candidate who's making these pronouncements, and they're, they're very good pronouncements, but there's a but here. Are we, in fact, well, why is Franklin Graham so upset that he thinks that we're taking God out of our culture and our society, that, you know, and of course Franklin Graham's not alone in this, I'm just, you know, using him on this program today is uh, just an example, but in any event, why does he believe we have so many problems today and that only God can fix them? What does he see that's wrong? Well, the National Catholic Register also put out an election guide. And if you want to look at, hey, do we have God in our society? If we say, I believe in God, I acknowledge God, do we let that you know, trans, uh, transfer over into the things we believe we need to do as a community, uh, as a society. Um, you know, you were saying, Bob, earlier that you have to live this with your whole heart. So are we doing that? Well, let's see. So this election guide that the National Catholic Register put out had a series of 11 different issues that they examined in the context of Catholic teaching. One was the sanctity of human life. So we're talking about abortion and we're talking about uh, euthanasia. Uh, which, which many people, Ray, can be a single issue, thing and yeah. a single issue in what they vote by, right? They, well, the Catholics and Catholic bishops has said, said... That's the, what you should be doing. Well, they, they've said, right, it's, it's the preeminent issue, right? right. Um, you know, there's, there's that issue. There's uh, taxpayer funding for abortion. There's assisted suicide that also involves sanctity of life. Um, what else do we have? We have, um, oh, um, yeah, stem cell, uh, embryonic stem cell research. They talked about marriage, immigration, education, the care for creation, racism, religious liberty, capital and capital punishment. So those were the 11 issues. 
that they, uh, that they picked out and uh, contrasted them with Catholic teaching. And out of those issues, by my count, Mr. Biden agrees with church teaching or his positions uh, are consistent with church, church teachings um, as expressed in this election guide four out of 11 times. Uh, Mr. Trump, by my count, is 10 out of 11. Well, why? The sanctity of human life. If you, you know, you talk about being created in the image of God, are we respecting that when you support abortion up until, you know, eight months and 29 days of pregnancy? Or afterwards, or as, after. as happens in right. some states, which right. is horrific. Well, it's all horrific. I, any abortion is horrific because it's taking life. You know, uh, religious liberty. You know, he, Mr. Biden has said, you know, that the recent Supreme Court decision uh, in favor of the Little Sisters of the Poor was a disappointment, and that he would, re, you know, work to revoke, uh, revoke that as soon as possible. I forgot. Are the Little Sisters of the Poor Catholic? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, they just. He supports the Equality Act. Um, he wants the Equality Act to be uh, enacted within the first 100 days of his presidency. He's made that a, a large point. And uh, the Equality Act, the U.S. bishops have come out firm opposition to the Equality Act uh, because, you know, among other things, you know, it would uh, force homeless shelters to place biological men with vulnerable women. It would force adoption agencies to place children with same-sex couples, even if this violates their beliefs and the beliefs and the birth mother's wishes. It would require health professionals to provide gender transition surgeries and treatments in violation of their medical and ethical judgments, and it would exempt itself from the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So, you know, the Equality Act is meant to ensure that LGBTQ people are not discriminated against. But if it forces other people to act against their faith, then it's discriminating against them. And it has to say that it is exempt from the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It has to say that religious freedom doesn't apply to this because they're imposing you know, uh, their beliefs. They're saying that if, in fact, you're the Little Sisters or anybody else and your religious beliefs are contrary to some of these prescriptions, it doesn't matter. So. Are we not taking God out of our society when we're saying what you believe from a religious perspective, something that has been held sacred, if you'll pardon the pun, in this country for over 200 years, something that's part of our Constitution? You know, if you say, hey, my, re my religion is important to me and I should be able to exercise it freely, but then the society says, no, we've got this secular law and you have to go against your religion because we say, you know, this law is right. And, you know, we say that we know what is best. Uh, does it sound haughty and boastful like St. Paul warned against? Um, you know, aren't we taking God out of the equation? Um, you know, and so, so this is, you know, this is where, you know, this is where we find ourselves today. But... You know, I mean, you can find another. You can find other examples. There, you know, we're to some degree awash in examples of these things. Well, Ray, I think one of the things that happens is that people in positions of power, highly intelligent people in positions of power, begin to forget 
that they are with fault and they do make mistakes. God doesn't. God doesn't make mistakes. He is the entity that is nothing but right and loving. He doesn't make mistakes. And if you think of yourself as brilliant, do you want a God dictating to you what's right or wrong? Well, I hope. I hope because I believe myself as a, you know, at least marginally acceptable intellectual. I hope I'm smart enough to realize that I am not God, that I am a servant of God, and I am to do God's will, right, with everyone that I meet and to love them as he asks. And I hope I don't get to the point where I think I'm so doggone good that I can make decisions for God. That's so ridiculously not humble. How foolish is that? And I think we forget that. I I think we believe that we're brilliant. We're so smart, we can make these decisions, right? And St. Paul is saying, wait a minute, folks. You are not making these decisions. God is, right? So let's um, let's examine another one of these aspects of, of St. Paul's letter that we quoted earlier and see if it fits this picture too. He said something about that they are hateful or scornful of God. Does that have to go along with the rest of this picture? You know, that, you know, that immoral acts and so forth uh, become more prevalent. Is being scornful of God necessarily part of that? I think that's another way of asking the same question we've already asked, which is, hey, does love of others, um, is that necessarily connected to love of God? Um, they're connected, right? They're um, the same. Yeah, I mean, it's the same question, just from a different angle. Um, well, let's take, uh, let's take New York State. Now, here you've got a, uh, someone who's a governor of New York State who is a professed Catholic. And yet he, uh, he's uh, haughty, boastful, or, uh, you know, uh, you know he's, 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 he's someone who, you know, thinks so much of himself that he's right. You're talking about people who think that they're right and they don't you know, necessarily have to, um, have to conform uh, their behavior, their, their thoughts uh, to what God believes. Now, they may say otherwise. They may say, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm... I'm a fully you know, devout and faithful Catholic. But if you're taking stances which is against the church, uh, I think at least people can, can ask the question as to whether or not you, know, you are uh, really being humble in your assessment of whether or not you're complying with you know, what, uh, what God would want. Anyways, uh, it's interesting because uh, the St. Thomas More Society is an organization of, of attorneys that do pro bono work. They just helped... Uh, two priests, two Catholic school students, and four Orthodox Jewish individuals to renew a lawsuit against the state of New York. Back in July, they uh, uh, obtained a court order from a federal judge which prohibited the governor of New York State, the mayor of New York City, and the attorney general for New York State from imposing restrictions on Catholic or church um, ceremonies, practices, and and behavior, uh, church gatherings. They were more restrictive than a lot of other uh, restricted organizations and, and businesses in the, uh, you know, in the state of New York at large. They said, you have to treat them equally. Um, and it is a constitutional principle that's been recognized by the Supreme Court of this country, by, all, by, you know, by liberal and conservative justices on the court, that if you're going to restrict something like religious freedom, 
Um, that's a basic constitutional right. It's written into the Constitution. It's a basic right. But if you're going to do that, you, you do as the government have the power to do that. But you have to choose the least restrictive means that is necessary for your legitimate government purpose. The least restrictive means. Well, you know, is it the least restrictive means when you are imposing all these restrictions on churches that you don't impose on other people? If other businesses and other organizations don't have to live under those restrictions and they're allowed uh, greater freedom, then why is it necessary to have for greater restrictions on Catholic churches? Wouldn't a lesser restriction also be permissible? And specifically, you know, what happened here was uh, on October 5th, uh, the governor threatened to close down churches unless they abided by this 50% level. They could only have a capacity, they'd only be allowed an indoor capacity of 50% of what a building could hold. That's how many people they could have inside. And that, in fact, was what the court order provided. Well, then on the very next day, he came out with a new, and so he threatened, hey, unless you abide by that 50% rule, we're going to close you down. Well, a threat to close down churches is bad enough as it is. Nobody has the power to do that. You can, you know, you can perhaps, you know, sanction them. You can find them. You can hold them. But to, to say that you have the power to close them, that's another story. But nevertheless, on October 6th, then he came out with a new order. Ten people inside. If you were in the so-called red zone, you could have up to 20, 25% capacity or a maximum of 10 people. So if you've got a church that can hold 500 and your 10% is 50 people, it doesn't matter. You could still only hold 10. You know, if you're a church that can hold 1,000 people, you know, you're 25% capacity, 250 people, but no, you can only hold 10. You know, but these are not restrictions that are imposed on other organizations and other businesses. Why churches? There's an attorney for the St. Thomas More Society who said the governor's new cluster action initiative is a completely arbitrary and astounding abuse of power just when we thought it couldn't get any worse. Uh, this is uh, Special Counsel uh, Christopher Ferreira. It is a blatant violation of our client's right to the free exercise of religion under the First Amendment, including to the right to be free from such explicit and brazen religious discrimination. They're doing this, and they admit, uh, they admit they're doing this without any evidence showing that churches are unique in terms of gatherings of people, that there's something different about a church, that you have to impose harsher restrictions. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I believe it was, yes, Cuomo in his press conference admitted that the impact of these new restrictions on secular businesses is, quote, not what this is about, close quote. They're admitting that these restrictions are aimed more at um, churches. Why churches? Why single them out? Is there something scientifically special about people being gathered in a church that doesn't apply when people are gathered someplace else? Why? Are we taking God out of our society? Are we not doing that? Are we not being haughty and boastful? Even people who profess themselves to be um, you know, devout and faithful people. Um, you know, this is what we are finding. You know, this, this priest in France talked about, hey, you know, there's a secular society here. It's causing problems. And if you think it's only happening in France and can't be, you know, won't be happening here, you know, I mean, 
we're seeing it. We're seeing it. You know, in L.A. County, you think it's not, we're not singling out just churches? In L.A. County, um, there's a church called the Our Lady of Angels. It's in a place called Arcadia, California. The uh, pastor there is a father, Trevor uh, Burfitt. Well, he's filed a lawsuit against, uh, against the, the county, um, against the COVID restrictions there. And strange thing, uh, they have had uh, inv- so-called environmental health specialists survey or conduct surveillance on the church. On October 15th, they slapped the parish with various citations when they were when they observed when these health specialists observed women in prayer veils leaving the building. They violated the restrictions. They had several people in the church. Uh, five days later, October 20th, there were two masked worshippers worshippers uh, who were ejected. And again, more citations. You see, you can't pray inside the buildings at all. Um, and even if you wear masks, you know it doesn't matter. Um, you know, uh, there's again, uh, there's an attorney there, uh, Paul jo- uh, Jana, and he observed there are dozens of churches in Arcadia and hundreds in Los Angeles County. Yet the parish of Father Burfitt seems to be singled out. He said these people who work for the Department of Health, um, these specialists, uh, their job descriptions uh, direct them to be primarily concerned with restaurants and, you know, and with food sanitation and proper rubbish disposal. That is uh, the jobs for which they were hired. Yet, you know, they're being sent to go to a church. And one particular church, it just happens to be the one that's filed this lawsuit. He said the constitutional right to petition for grievances includes the right to file a lawsuit without retaliation or targeting. You know, I mean, um, you know, is there not hostility toward religion? Is there really an acknowledgement of God or perhaps maybe some resistance to acknowledging God? Why single out churches for this kind of retaliation? So you're seeing it from one coast of the country to the other. And the question that we ask is, you know, are, are, we, are we a society that can say we believe in God? And if not, if we are, in fact, going in a more secular direction, are we headed for what may be happening in France, where people have a natural, inborn, universal inclination to want God, to want something that unifies all of them together? And then you have a society that refuses that, that refuses to acknowledge that God. And then there are problems that may come from that. Are we not in that same situation? Well, in any event, this has been another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America, and we hope that it's helped you look at an issue perhaps in a way you might not have otherwise. Hope that it's been a little bit provocative, a little interesting. Uh, and so we are glad that you you joined us, um, and we're going to uh, uh, we're going to try to uh, uh, you know have uh, uh, take up another issue next time that is is provocative and interesting as well. And uh, to hold us until that next gathering, we're going to ask Bob once again to give us a prayer to send us on our way.
the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, always allow us to look to you for the answers. Whatever they are, whatever our difficulty is, you hold the answers. And allow us to love other individuals as we love ourselves and turn to one another and take care of one another in times of trial, tribulation, and difficulty. Allow us to call your Holy Spirit, which is the love between you and your Son, to always take care of us, watch over us, and allow us to do the right things. We pray all this through the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. Goodbye until next time.